This is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. You're listening to The Advisory Board. Whether you're just starting out or figuring out your next stage of growth, we are here to lend a helping hand. I'm Megan Flamer. And I'm Alan Jones. We've been there before. Sure have. We've helped thousands of founders, CEOs, organisations all over the world take their lives and businesses to the next level. Mm-hmm. Several levels. <laughs> Each week we are here to take on the real issues from entrepreneurs like you and show you how to win the day with kindness and a little tough love. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure you send us all of your questions to Instagram. Um, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan and I mostly take, you know, personal requests like song requests also. <laughs> or you can reach out to us on disrupt.radio. Disrupt. This is the advisory board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. <laughs> Not that Alan Jones. There's an episode of um, Silicon Valley where the startup hires a whole bunch of corporate enterprise salespeople and there's a character, she only appears in about five minutes of this particular episode and, and she introduces herself as, you know, I'm Jan, I'm Vice President of North Regional Sales. They call me Jan the Man. What? <laughs> That's an issue, isn't it? That's an issue where the only path to seniority in, in many organisational cultures is for a woman to abandon her gender and, and become more male than the men to outperform for them to be more of a go-getter, to be a team player, to be great at foosball, to be able to smash down more drinks and still run a marathon the next day. I was reading a study about this a few weeks ago. They've literally also shown that then that shows that you are too masculine, too much, too loud, yeah. too brash. Like there's actually, when they're looking at senior women's leadership feedback, there is no way for you to win. And if you measure it against the feedback that they would give to male counterparts, there actually is no rhyme or reason to what the issues are with women. So yeah. they either don't talk up enough or they're a bitch. Yeah, Jan yeah. the man will still hit a glass ceiling. It might be a little bit yeah. higher than everybody else's glass ceiling, but she'll still hit one for sure. Yeah, and I think that's what is that frustration, you know? I think there's so many of us who are so devastatingly frustrated about it. I mean, we've talked before about being invited to be on panels and speak at conferences, and Mm. I am often very last-minute asked to come in and be on a panel Mm. because they're just... If someone's brought up something about diversity and they desperately need a last-minute female fill-in or a last-minute diversity fill-in or Mm. someone who's not completely white and Mm. you kind of look ethnically ambiguous, could you come in and Mm. pinch hit for us here? Oh, but we have no budget left, by the way. Mm. Come on. It's always token tech vagina on so many industry (laughs) panels. What can we do to change? Where does change begin? I think starting right from the beginning, Mm. having conversations with women, I feel like a lot of the time you get really jerked around, even on the speaking circuit, for lack of a a better Mm. word. And I have to say that it is pretty much always on that tech and innovation side. I give loads of talks and facilitate things for big organisations. I get approached all the time and paid well to be able to go and speak at these either conferences or give keynotes or anything like that. In the tech world, I get that things are happening quickly and that they're often organised last minute, Mm -hmm. but I also know a lot of people like you who are amazing headliners who were asked four or five months ago, and I'm also approached 
quite often to help someone, usually a white man. Yep, 48 with, hours before the well, event. Or with their content. Like, yeah, can right. you just um, give me all of the information about all of the things you do? Because I want to be the face of talking about, you oh, know, that's clever. health and well-being and, and mindfulness. Oh, and I should do that. Yeah, can I, I know you <laughs> gave a talk about X. Is can you buy you a coffee and pick your brain? No, a few times, you know, and if you've mm. got a relationship with someone, sure. Like, I'm always talking about this stuff. But why, if you know that there aren't enough women getting up in front of all of these groups and organisations, mm. would you not offer... Well, actually, Megan knows more about this, or mm. these other 15 women mm. are experts in these areas. Why would you not offer up your place mm. for those women? I mean, I think that's part of it. And I know you've done that actively on panels. Yeah, accidentally and just, you know, out of sheer embarrassment um, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that I hadn't done my research and I hadn't paid fully attention to the, to the conference program. And, and I realized I was about to step on stage, like, with, like, eight other middle-aged white guys and I was going to be Eight. the ninth one. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Put that together. No, yeah. don't tell me. No, it was, it was a long time ago now. In the heat of the moment, the only thing that I thought that I could do is when I looked out at the audience, about two-thirds of the audience were, were female. And so I thought, nah, what do I do? Um, well, some of these people have probably been working in the, in the fintech industry you know, much, much longer than I have and probably have real hands-on operator experience. Um, I, and I'm just going to throw the mic to them. So when the mic finally came around to me, when it was my turn to answer a question to add my insight um i just picked up the mic and said hey um you know when i look through the audience today i see some some awesome experienced qualified women professionals from the fintech industry if if if, if i could hand the mic to one of you if anybody would like to put your hand up um i'd love for you to come up and and, and take my stool on on the podium and answer this question and the facilitator was a little rattled and the rest of the panel kind of chortled um but but i really meant it it happened and she had an awesome answer. So when Mike came around to me for my next turn to speak, I did it again. <laughs> and the thing that I learned from that exercise is as a middle-aged heterosexual white guy, I have so much abundance of privilege that I can literally give away every opportunity of a privilege I have to somebody with less privilege than me, and I'm still left with more than I can use. Mm. You know, I'm really not a threat. We can be diversity champions. We can make a bigger space for everybody else who's underrepresented in the industry that we work with and still have more than enough for ourselves. I think that is the different conversation. I've heard politicians talk about this a lot where, you know, we'll give opportunities to women but not at the expense of men. Mm. And I just, I don't understand why this it's narrative zero sum continues. Game. Yeah, we literally have the data, the research to show that more diversity creates better outcomes. If money is what you you care about, it improves your bottom line. Hmm. It will improve the social outcomes, the economic outcomes. Hmm. A rising tide lifts all boats. Hmm. We know this to be the case. Yeah. So if you are still one of those people who's hanging back and can only happen to find white men for your panel, can you please take a moment to just, I mean, talk to myself or Alan. We know a lot of amazing women who can come up. and talk. It is up. We know a lot of great people. Yeah, they're fantastic. And, you know, it's not that you can't find them. You are not looking. You really are not looking because there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of incredible women in Australia and beyond who can speak 
so beautifully and so amazingly and so knowledgeably about all of these areas. Remembering diversity as an afterthought is just not good enough. It's not good enough. Mm. And I'm sorry, you should not have a panel of nine middle-aged white guys. Like, sometimes I see the rundowns of these conferences. And again, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I was invited to speak um, and facilitate a, a panel. And, and it was supposed to be an all-female panel. So I was super excited because that's just so rare that that happens. It's usually just, it, it never happens. You'll always have like a token male because you want to make sure that it's, yeah, you yeah. know, diverse. Yeah, 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 exactly. We don't seem to be worried that there's all male panels, but if there's an all female panel, I don't know, that might be too much for people. I got invited to facilitate this panel. And then after a bit of back and forth, we got it all locked away and it was all organised. And then they came back to me and they said, listen, we're just worried that the panel's too white and we might need to change it up. <laughs> and so they were going to kick me off the panel for being too white. And I was like, well, not only have you not asked me what my background is, it just happens to be half Sri Lankan and I'm the product of two um, non-Australian. So, you know, I'm a first generation Australian. Look, I ended up doing the panel and the person who asked me was really embarrassed that that had happened and was gracious and lovely and actually someone else had asked them to make that request or kind of boot me off the panel. But I just think, gosh, we do badly in these spaces. Like, we really just do so badly in these spaces. Like, people don't know people's backgrounds and maybe for me the responsibility is about talking more about my background or, you know, I'm often just brought on so often as the token woman, I don't think about saying like, yeah, and I'm also a diversity Mm. general non-English speaking background person. So, you know, congratulations, you hit the diversity lottery if you'd like me to be on your panel. This letter comes to us from Faulty Feminist and they write, my startup has been growing pretty well over the past couple of years, but we're still a completely male team. I think diversity is important and I've tried so many things to get women on our team. We've done shout-outs on all female job boards, asked friends to refer people to us, got rid of the foosball table and the pizza and beer nights. I keep hearing the great female engineers are out there, but we can't find them. Help, says Faulty Feminist. What do we do here, Megan? <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at it because I think it's it's a very legitimate and real and constant question. Yeah, that, this um, is a person that generally wants to change, right? And they're taking active steps already. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. It makes me a little sad and frustrated when people make it about the foosball and pizza beer nights. I mean, it's an amazing first step. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could treat this like you would treat any other conversation with a customer. Like if you treat female engineers as your customer, how are you being empathetic to that? Where do they live? How are you going to find them? Um, You know, it's great that you're actually aware that there are all female job boards, but I would also encourage you to be looking at how many female engineers are you friends with? Who do you know? You could ask for referrals from friends. A warm intro, as we know, is one of the best ways to get that done. Uh, I like to call myself the token tech vagina um, (laughs) who gets pulled in all the time just because we just don't know any other women who could possibly come in and do this thing rather than someone who's, you know, actually knows what she's doing or, you Hmm. know, has any talent or advice or anything in her own right. Like, it, it can be reductive, I think, to always be kind of looking for a female 
as opposed to we're looking for someone who would be a culture add to our team, not a culture fit. And that's the difference between this sort of pizza nights and, and foosball tables. We're actually looking for someone who would be the best person for the job. Mm. But the criteria that we've been examining for this job is this reductive old way of putting down criteria, selection criteria, based on all of the all-white male engineers that we've ever known, worked with, went to uni with and had anything to do with. So I think the first step really is about creating that mindset change. Yeah, I think um, Faulty Feminist has, has learned the hard way what many of us learn, and that is the diversity is very hard to add later in the life of an organisation. Mm. The best time to set diversity goals and start working towards meeting them is, is at the very beginning, you know, because no antelope wants to be shown a cave full of bears and, and said, would you like to come <laughs> in and be the first antelope? You know, maybe I want to be the third or the fourth antelope, but not the first one. So, you know, the best way to start with diversity is from the very beginning. And then some aspects of Faulty Feminist's letter do kind of trigger my scepticism bone a little bit, right? Mm. So all female job boards are only going to attract applicants who are female, I would imagine. Right, so that means that if there are no applicants from a female job board, um, there's something wrong with their ad, <laughs> something in the job description or the compensation, or perhaps there's still some subtle unconscious biases in the copy itself. So it's very, very hard without specific training to be aware of, of bias, which is in language. So. I want Faulty Feminist to go to Google and Google, um, you know, app for uh, removing bias from a job ad um, because there are such things, you know, and this yeah. is not the kind of show where we mention specific products, but there are awesome startups from right here in Australia that do specifically this, that help employers remove bias of all kinds, but gender bias being the most important one from the job ad. So I, w I would start there because if you're not getting any applicants from female engineers, then maybe it's the ad which is the problem. So another really important thing is, is to accept that everybody who's an early hire in, in a startup has to really believe in the mission, right? So if we are building, I'm going to say, online sports betting websites, I think we would all agree that probably there's a bit of an uneven gender mix in the customer demographic for online sports betting. It's mostly a male pastime, right? So everybody in the early team of a startup has to really care about the customer and the problem that we're solving for them. So it might be necessary to look at the startup and say, hey, we're an online sports betting platform. Are we ever really going to see much diversity in the people who really care about solving this problem for this customer? If not, maybe we let go of the diversity goals for now and we just lean in on that and accept that we're never going to perform quite as well as a truly diverse team because we're all a bit of a monoculture. I think there's also this idea of you know, it's a startup and it's a great product and everyone's excited about what they're doing, which is awesome and the way it should be. But ultimately, if you're noticing that you're not attracting a particular type of customer, a particular type of hire, the opportunity is to really look at how are you communicating that, as you were saying, like, is there a lot of bias in your communication? But also, how are you communicating what it is that you are creating? 
because ultimately a, a job offer and getting someone to join the team, that's a sale. You know, you're really looking at how you're creating that opportunity for another person. So if no women are excited about what it is that you're building, if they're not excited to join the team, you're missing out on half of the potential customers, half of the potential market of people who could be working and playing and, and getting excited about you. So again, looking at your language, looking at how you're talking about it, looking at how you create that opportunity, it's not only going to create a better conversation for your sales and for your market, but also for the kinds of people that you attract and hire. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in addition to rolling out the, you know, putting the foosball out on the street mm. and, uh, you know, adding, you know, some, some white wine and some, some hors d'oeuvres as well as the pizza on Friday nights. I, um, I just like, I just want to interrupt you on that. Well, I don't drink white wine. I like foosball. I also <laughs> really enjoy <laughs> table tennis. So, yeah. like, it doesn't have to look like those tropes, you know, like it's not. Oh, I hate table like, tennis. And I, I don't want foosball. it to be pink. Yeah, like, don't yeah, offer yeah. me something that's yeah. then pink because yeah. that's not all we're looking for here. Yeah, totally. But women like opportunities. Yeah. You know, we, we want to be working on something that's going to go somewhere. It mm. is riskier for us, you mm. know, in terms of taking jobs that don't have the kinds of benefits. You know, yeah. if you're looking at parental leave or if you're looking at some of the other bits and pieces that you need to make sure that you have, whether that's health insurance or anything else, mm. there are greater risks for us, mm. you know. And so I think it's important also to acknowledge those risks. And the other part of it, I mean, we were talking about the criteria before, is... The criteria that you're thinking that you need for this job might not be that culture ad, you know? And it, there maybe aren't as many senior female engineers who are fluent in the programming languages that you're looking for for this role, but could you get someone in a little more junior and train them up and give them this amazing opportunity so that they'll be with you from the ground up and then go and create things? For sure. And if they're working on something else right now, could they maybe, you know, take a couple of desks in your space for a while and work on their thing and get gradual exposure to your thing so that over time they start to think, yeah, actually, these guys aren't too bad, you know? They're quite nice, you know? Um, and and you know, when we have we have office space, you know, in addition to what's on the inside of the building, we need to think about what's on the outside, you know? So, so where is this space in relation to public transport, in relation to childcare? Um, what's it like after sunset, you know, is it a slightly dodgy neighbourhood, is it safe, you know, so things like these can, can, can make a, you know, a huge difference. If somebody has to get to uh, childcare to do pick up in the afternoon, where are they going to park the car? Because they're going to need a child seat, you know, so, you know, a few things like this can, can really help. If you can't see that yourself, then maybe just like sublease a little part of your space to a mostly female team for a while and maybe they'll have some people that could make the jump across to your team over time. Mm, and talk to women. Talk to women you know about what they would be looking for in a job. Go and do some customer interviews with other women engineers who are the sorts of people who you would be potentially looking to hire. What would they be looking for? Great idea. Talk to the market and find out what's attractive to people, what they would need, and then look at how you can shape your organisation to help people feel safe, included, have them come to events that maybe don't involve <laughs> pizza and foosball and all types of wine. Don't make them pink. Yeah, don't mm -hmm. make it pink. Mm -hmm. But, you know, also don't make all of your events about drinking and free food, you know. Yeah. How are you making your events about something that is inclusive and great conversations and equal a number of voices? The amount of events that I am invited to where it is a middle-aged white male speaker 
present company, you know, included. I adore you and you have so much wisdom and amazing everything and I don't want to hear from another middle-aged white guy again and again and again. Like, who are the different voices? Do you have people from other backgrounds, from other countries who have done things in different spaces, in different companies and of all genders? That's the opportunity here. How are we including those conversations? You might think that the best voices in the business are those same people again and again. They have so much wisdom and that's great. But there is something else that's possible as you widen that out. The future belongs to the people that aren't big brand names right now, right? So give those people the talking stick. Ask them what their opinions are. Ask them how they would like to change the organisation that they've been invited in if they could. Ask them to sit down with you and say, you know, if I were a potential customer, this is what I would tell you about your business, about your product or your service. And if I was a potential employee here, this is what I think would need to change for me to be part of it. You're listening to Disrupt Radio. This is the advisory board with Alan Jones and Megan Flamer. (laughs) Dear advisory board, I'm one of them, you know, a woman who works in tech. I'm an engineer, I make games and I love my work. I also have a game startup that's starting to do well and we're getting some traction. We'd like to raise a seed round in the next year. But then I read the comments made by very senior men in this industry and by loads of other guys piling on. Meritocracy, token hires. I feel pretty lucky that I work with some awesome feminist men. They even clean the office kitchen. It's a small but awesome step. But am I just kidding myself that women are welcome in this industry? Are we going to be able to raise? I'm just a girl standing in front of a games console asking you to fund me. Gamer girl. Heck of a line, gamer girl. You should definitely be using that in your pitches. I love that one. So incredibly fortunate, gamer girl, to be, you know, working in a game startup with some guys that will help clean the kitchen every now and again. Yeah, I have a young adult son and uh, and that is a hard job. I'm trying to get them to unpack and unpack the dishwasher even much less tidy up after themselves. But it's an infamous industry. Game software industry, game hardware industry. It's infamously male-dominated and there's some real toxic masculinity out there in the world. I think the... the fortunate thing to keep in mind here is that specifically when we're talking about raising investment is that investors really do want to be choosing startups to fund solely based on the business opportunity here you know solely based on your unique intellectual property the unusual way you're going to get to market the uh, the clever technique that you have to build engagement with your customers and keep them coming back and drive greater and greater lifetime value from them that is genuinely all they want to care about the things that are holding them back from backing more female founders are unconscious biases. That's what I was I was just about to deeply disagree with you and I thought I'll let you finish your point <laughs> I first could see, and say I could see 3% of female startups She's going to climb over the desk and <laughs> throttle me there for a second <laughs> so, so the good news is that investors consciously want to do better and many of them will take constructive criticism well. Many. Yeah. <laughs> many of them. So it's not like the situation is never going to change. No, it's not changing fast enough. And, and yes, maybe it's not going to change fast enough for you to achieve your goals. 
But nothing's going to change if you hope that everybody else does a better job for you. I think the most important way for Gamer Girl to, to move ahead here is to learn to be bold enough to, to call it out when you see it amongst those people that you need to get on board with your startup. And so for, for Gamer Girl, I think if this is about raising a round, I think Gamer Girl needs to be respectful and polite and mm. courteous, but say, hey, did you just say that because what I think that I heard was that might have been influenced, informed by a, a very common and very understandable, but, but historically appropriate and no longer currently appropriate unconscious bias. Mm. I'm in two minds about this because there is one side of me that is tired mm. and frustrated and... You know, I've read a lot about emotional labour and I've done a lot of emotional labour. And I continue to do a lot of emotional labour. And a lot of the training that we do is, you know, university groups that I've worked with, research that we've done, ways that we're looking at solving this problem is spearheaded and led by women. Yet we acknowledge that having more diversity, having more women in the room, having more women at the table increases the bottom line, there are better outcomes, you know, more success, female startups tend to go the distance. You know, we've, we've got all this data, yet it hasn't changed, and the people trying to spearhead that change again is mainly women, and we are tired. So it is so frustrating when we're talking about this to, to say, yes, look, you've got to be respectful and you've got to, you know... Again, it's putting the onus back on on women to do that emotional labour, to be great, just Mm. be great. And it's like women are already being great. We're already going above and beyond. We're already cleaning the kitchen and picking up the kids and doing all of the things and being great at our jobs and doing all the due diligence and being respectful and being in the spaces and then respectfully just pointing out, hey, that might be your unconscious bias. I'm sorry to... Totally, totally. But, you know, it it wasn't a male investor with with, uh, gender bias. Who, who wrote us the letter and so you know I know yes. investors won't be joiners until series two you know, our <laughs> lessons for series one are all going to be founders so I really want to help Game of Girl if yes. I can yes you know? so I just I, I yeah. want to acknowledge yeah. the frustration of it and and also make sure that we're you know for me it is the absolute elephant in the room around that as well like I often think about this in terms of, yes, you've got to be great and you've got to be better in so many ways, you know. You do have to be considering all of those avenues. But especially in Australia, there are so many more people who are spearheading, supporting women, actively looking for female founders. I'm sitting across from one of them right yes, now. Yes, yeah. Who's championing women and looking at how we can include more of them in the conversation, train them, develop them, and to be able to have those conversations and address those unconscious biases off the bat. You know, when we're looking at this as a sales and marketing conversation, it's, it's literally about telling them to overcome those objections before they even make them in the meeting and getting fantastic at being able to pitch exactly as you were saying their business proposition what's in it for the investors what the return is going to be making a fantastic product that shouldn't be different for any founder who's going to meet and and trying to raise funds there are other ways i think as well that you can unfortunately kind of hack the process where it does look like having 
you know, an older male advisor, someone who is an industry stalwart, having a co-founder who is a male, often technical, is what's going to get you in the door. I hesitate with that advice because I feel frustrated that it has to be that way sometimes. But I also feel like if you are committed to the product right now in this climate and this environment, we know that most female founded teams do not get funded. Yeah, that's sad but true. And although I believe there is change happening, it's not happening fast enough. And the industry data that we have is always going to be historical. We can only look at at 2022's data when we're in 2023. Mm. And maybe the first six months of 2023 have had another little tiny percentage point to the to the growth rate or to the success rate of, of female-funded startups seeking investment. Google me, right? So, so um, I'm, I'm a you know, middle-aged white male tech angel investor who's made a number of portfolio investments in female-founded companies and they're some of my best-performing startups. So I'm not a billionaire. I, I don't get to invest in every founder and every company that I meet, but maybe there's someone else that I can introduce somebody to maybe there's a, a way that i can help you tell your story that that makes it land better with the investors that i know and look for programs so that you'll feel more of a community and less of a solo female founder taking on the entire um genderocracy all by yourself mm. and look everyone wants to be a part of a success story in hindsight right and so i think so much of the journey here is about convincing people just to get you through to that next stage you know being able to pitch being able to win get as many customers as you possibly can get people excited about your product all of those things i would give that same kind of advice but especially within gaming where we're really looking at a male dominated space i would also recommend looking at how you manage yourself and your frustration gamer girl You know, you're in this for the hard slog. It sounds like you're an excellent operator. It sounds like you're doing some really amazing things. You're already getting traction with this product, which is very, very exciting. There has to be some work for you around being able to deal with the frustrating conversations, to deal with that frustration ongoingly. You know, every founder needs to be able to bounce back, but female founders do need to be thicker skinned and, you know, in it for the longer haul. It can take twice as long for you to raise that seed round than it can for a male-led team. So we know that you need to be able to manage that. And I know that I always beat the drum of, you know, looking at your well-being and, and looking at your mindset, but I would encourage you to surround yourself with A, women who've done it before, but also male champions. Read everything that Alan Jones has written. He is an enormous champion for women and he's done it all before. But you're also looking at the ways in which you manage the naysayers, you know, people who are piling on and saying that women or calling them females, like females don't know how to do X. Mm. How do you tune those voices out or how do you get good at hearing those things and knowing in yourself and in your core, you are doing something that's important. You are doing something that's powerful. And ultimately, again, we want to look at what's the data? Who's excited about it? What are you proving in your market? What are you proving with this product? Who's testing it? Who's playing it? There are millions of women, girls who are excited about games and being in that space. And they're actively out there 
find them. Give them your game to play with. Give them a space to be able to have these conversations with each other in a way that uplifts rather than complains. Because, you know, we're all complaining about it and we're frustrated by it. But also, and I love this saying, I often talk about this with Nicola Hazel, who is an absolute champion Mm. for women across Australia. We're not here to steal a slice of the pie. We're here to bake more pies. I'm in favour of more pies, more and bigger pies. And it's good to take... I'm going to call it a weakness. It shouldn't be a weakness, but, you know, in terms of success rate raising capital and how much capital raised and so on and so forth, strategically, it's more challenging, right, as a female founder. But sometimes when we lean into a strategic weakness in our business and we champion it as a strength, it actually provides differentiation. Oftentimes when you're pitching, whether it's a game startup or or a different kind of startup to to potential investors or, or customers or the media or any kind of stakeholder group, sometimes just getting a little bit of clear air a way to make yourself seem different to all the other people all competing for the same stuff um, can really be a powerful thing. You know, so I started a business um, with a close friend of ours, Tony Barrett, and we were building a startup studio and we decided to call it the new agency and I had just moved to pretty much the far end of the northern beaches of Sydney at that time. And at that time in Sydney, most of the tech startup community in Sydney was based in Surrey Hills, which is about an hour and a half away. So I didn't want to be spending an hour and a half every day on public transport getting to our offices. And so I said, you know, my one non-negotiable condition about doing this business with you is that we do it from the northern beaches. And, you know, he said, are you crazy? Like, nobody does startups <laughs> on the northern beaches. And I said, I know. That's our strategic weakness. How are we going to make it our strategic strength? Right? So we came up with a hashtag for Instagram and Twitter and it was called hashtag suck at Surrey Hills. Right? <laughs> um, not because we, either of us really had anything against Surrey Hills. We were just like, okay, our weaknesses that we're not based on Surrey Hills like everybody else. How do we make that out of strength? So our Instagram feed and our social media for the new agency became all about all the great things about running a small business on the northern beaches. So we had breakfast meetings at a beachside coffee shop and we would go for Monday morning surfs and PT sessions on the beach and we would make sure we capture that in socials. If you go to Instagram now and, and search on Sarah Hills as a hashtag, there's, there's a few thousand, I think, a few thousand posts there, right? And other people started picking up on it and started sharing it as well. Other people thought, oh, what's he got against Surrey Hills? And so they would start posting Instagram posts with, you know, at Newport. And, <laughs> um, and so anytime you engage in a, you know, in a debate with uh, a potential audience, you've got something which has got legs, which will run and run, right? So the funny kind of end to this story is that uh, two weeks ago, (laughs) my forever girlfriend and I moved to a new rental in Surrey Hills. Oh, you've fallen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've fallen. So my new hashtag is hashtag sorry, Surrey Hills. (laughs) You have to see if they accept you in at Burke Street Bakery now after all of your damage. And they don't know. I don't think they know. (laughs) So yeah, so so, so maybe, you know, okay, if if a firm I founded um, game studio... um, um, is, is a potential weakness in raising capital. Maybe it's also a strength when it comes to getting some clear air, getting some share of voice, getting some differentiation. So maybe people don't decide to invest in you right now, but by golly, they're going to remember you because you were different. Mm, that's great. I've had a few businesses now, some successful, some definitely Even not. more successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and I've done reasonable amount of fundraising but have recognised usually reasonably early in the process that 
fundraising wasn't right and that was for reasons from misalignment with the people we were talking to and on other sides the fact that I'm too much of a control freak and I was going to have to prize my cold dead fingers off controlling every aspect of the business and I didn't want to do that. I also feel an enormous amount of you know a duty of care because we're working in the space of mental health and and well-being and I didn't want that to be hacked. And most of the people we were talking to were very excited about hacking that, maybe not for the best reasons. And I'd rather do it for the right reasons than for the money. I think looking at that now, I wish I'd felt stronger and been clearer about those reasons because I think in every case it was the right thing not to take the investment and we've sold off pieces of the business that I was doing in the US and that's worked out very well for us but ultimately we kept control of the product and we kept control of the duty of care and ultimately I think absolutely the right things but I agonized over it in some cases for a couple of years like I spent two years talking to and negotiating with a couple of groups about whether or not they would take over this side of the business and ultimately decided no I just I couldn't do it but it was terrible like it was a bad it was yeah. a bad process for everyone involved because I didn't have that clarity so I think finding that alignment is really important but building the business and doing your business as usual is also the most important and so true. I'm sure we'll go into this in other episodes but ultimately you are here to build a business to build a market and to make sales and to make money and to have a product that works in the market not to raise funding your business model is not raise funding and I think we often forget that that is the case a startup is not a startup because it's raising money a startup is usually it's something that is being built you know often with some tech or let's just call it a small business where we're looking at how we get it to market and how we can be scrappy and iterative and innovative and get something in market garnering sales and actually being a sustainable business with or without the funding often so I think it's also good to remember that if you've got a fantastic product, it doesn't necessarily have to be funded. Yeah, yeah. Let's take two of Australia's best known and most successful tech startups. Canva, venture funded. Mm-hmm. Atlassian bootstrapped for like a decade before mm-hmm. they raised the cent from investors. And by the time they raised money from investors, they already had a successful business. And their capital was just something they used to grow massively and outpace the competitors. So just because we're in startups doesn't mean we have to raise investment. Yes. And one of the last things that I would just I'll just circle back to, God, I hate that expression. I really hate circle back. I, I deeply apologize. I'm going to raise it up the flagpole <laughs> if you don't circle back. <laughs> Be very careful who you take advice from. (laughs) Take everything with a handful of salt. What we say here, but one of the things I'm noticing is, you know, a lot of female founders will cite certain people in the industry or be really excited about talking, you know, about, oh, this newsletter that came out or, you know, this works for this and they'll be very excited about it. If someone you're reading never cites a single female in their newsletter. If you are 
you know, subscribing to someone's Substack and they literally never mention a female founder, but they talk about how much they champion female founders and female voices, that is a dissonance. And I think it's really important to just notice who's actually championing women, who's actually putting the money where their mouth is, who's actually talking about female founders raising, women in business, what that looks like, how to juggle all of the, the issues that female founders and, and female entrepreneurs are dealing with. Be looking carefully at those people who are actually doing that. If they're running a conference, do they actually have women on the stage by themselves talking, letting the women talk? If they're not doing that, I think that's a pretty good indicator that they're not actually championing women. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's so true. We're so grateful for your letters. Please do keep them coming. You can find Alan on uh, Instagram. All the things. Uh, at Big Yahoo. I'm on Instagram at Shiny Happy Healthy. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. We're out there doing the things. You can send your letter to LinkedIn, Disrupt on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Come up and chat to us at Startup Community Events. Yay, we're always there. We do the things. Um, but yeah, come and say hi and, and let us know what's working, what's not, and ask us your questions. We are here to help. This is the Advisory Board. I'm Megan Flamer. I'm Alan Jones. And we will see you next time. Yay. Jeff Bezos, Ariana Huffington and Phil Knight are three of the world's most successful business people. What are their secrets? What were they like growing up and what's it like to work with them? Global Disruptors with me, Rob Middle, is the podcast that gives you the backstory of the world's most successful people. Rod Little unlocks the struggles and success stories of some of the world's best-known entrepreneurs with Global Disruptors. The riveting radio series that delves deep into the world of extraordinary entrepreneurs. Global Disruptors explores the exceptional lives of the trailblazers who dared to defy the odds and rewrite the rules of the business world. What sets these mavericks apart? What secret source fuels their unwavering determination and grit? How do they keep their eyes on the prize, ignoring distractions and overcoming the toughest obstacles? Global Disruptors isn't just about the stories. We'll blend thoughtful analysis with moments of lighthearted humour to bring you the full inside scoop on these remarkable entrepreneurs. Their triumphs, their struggles and their indomitable spirit that propels them forward. Rod Little unlocks the struggles and success stories of some of the world's best-known entrepreneurs with global disruptors. Only on Disrupt Radio.